Hey, everybody. This is the show where we are incredibly inspired by the love and change that local nonprofits bring to their communities. And we believe the speakers and nonprofit professionals deserve the chance to share their stories, collaborate, and network with their communities and sector. So without further ado, you're listening to Nonprofit Connect, a podcast by Rogue Creatives hosted by me, Matt Barnes. Let's go. everybody, welcome to Nonprofit Connect. I'm Matt, and I realized, you know, as we've been going through this, you guys don't really know anything about me, and I don't want to make this podcast all about me because really I want to make it all about the nonprofits, but also it's good for us to connect. And so every week I think I'm just going to throw in a random fact about my life that, you know, to connect. So this week, letting you know, I have five kids that are five and under. That's two sets of twins and a baby right now. So we've got McCoy and Violet, who are five, almost six. We've got uh, Poppy and Wells, who are four. And then we've got our baby, Ren, who is seven months old. And we went from zero to five kids in five years. And it was the whirlwind, especially during the pandemic. But man, they're just the best thing ever. And fun fact, my son, Wells, if you ever watched the show This Is Us on NBC, he was Baby Jack for, I believe, seasons four and five. So we got to do that and be in, I think he did like 20 episodes, 22 episodes, something like that. And it was a really fun experience. And the people there were just as wonderful and nice as you would hope some people for on a show like that would be. And so we got to hang out and have the little bit of the Hollywood experience through our baby, which was such a weird kind of thing, but it was really great. But this podcast is not about that. It's about nonprofits. It's about you, the people tuning in, and we want to help you connect and learn and grow. That's what this thing's here for. And I also wanted to mention that we do live events. If you're in the Orange County area in California, we do live events quarterly, nonprofit connect events, and and you can go to npconnect.roguecreatives.com, find out when the next event's going to be if you're in the area. We'd love for you to come, and we'd love to meet you. It's like five bucks to get in or something, and we bring in great speakers. Today, we've got a great guest here on the podcast. His name is Noah Barnett. He's a professional fundraiser and the VP of Marketing at Feather. That's Feather without the last E, F-E-A-T-H-R. They are a nonprofit marketing platform, which helps mission and member organizations run and report in integrated marketing campaigns with easy-to-use advertising, email, and digital engagement tools. I feel like I'm doing an ad for them right now, but that's fine. They're awesome. Noah has over 10 years of experience in a variety of nonprofit organizations and building marketing and integrated growth strategies. We talked about a lot of things in our conversation, but mostly we sort of centered around the idea of closing the connection gap. They have a something that they use called the Good Marketing Framework, which is really interesting and helpful to kind of break down the best ways to actually do marketing and to look at marketing. And I'll say nothing else because Noah can tell you all about it. And so we'll go ahead and dive right into that right after this brief message. Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes is brought to you by Rogue Creatives. Rogue Creatives is a creative agency that works mostly with nonprofits to make sure that their brand character is being represented accurately. So here's the thing. If you think of your favorite book or your favorite movie or show or whatever, there's usually some character that you identify with, something that you connect with that brings you into that story and makes you come back to that story that makes you feel a part of that story and related to it. The same is true with your organization. See, people don't naturally connect with organizations. They just don't. They care about people and they care about character and 
They want to connect with those things. And that's why Rogue Creatives has developed a three-phase process called the Strategic Storytelling Framework. And it's designed to identify your brand character, its personality, its voice, its values, and then make sure that it comes to life so you're represented cohesively and accurately. No matter how people come into contact with you, whether it's a business card or website or social media, a video, a print piece, whatever, they're connecting with the same character and being brought into your story. And the best part is it frees you up to do just what you love to do or what you're best at. And you can rest easy knowing that you're still being represented out there so well and so accurately. And you have a team on your side making sure that this is happening consistently and cohesively. So. Head on over to roguecreatives.com slash NPC for Nonprofit Connect NPC to schedule a free brand consultation and take our free online brand character quiz. Because, you know, everybody loves a free online quiz. Those are fun. That's roguecreatives.com slash NPC to begin defining your brand character today. We've worked with uh, so many nonprofits and help them increase their funding and their reach as they connect with more people and bring them into their stories. There's no commitment or risk for you at all. And we just can't wait to meet you. Like, we're, we're actually just sitting around here waiting to meet you. We want to. Remember, that's roguecreatives.com slash NPC to get started today. Rogue Creatives. Seriously. Creative storytelling. And now, back to the show. Show, show, show. All right, Noah. So glad to get you on the podcast, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a long time before or since we've shared mics together. And so I'm stoked to be back at it. Yeah, it's been a long time, at least what four or five years. I don't even know. A few years, at least. Who's keeping track of time anymore? Like, I can't believe it's halfway through 23. So. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, so we're going to just jump right in. The way we normally start these things, we do a couple random questions. So I've got a list of a lot of random questions, and then I have a randomizer that randomly selects three of them. So it's a triple, double random. So here we go. Have you ever been on TV or in a movie? I haven't. Though if you Google my name, you can find a Noah Barnett that has. And so occasionally when you do the Googling, I am not the Noah Barnett that has a TV show, nor the one that shows up in uh, criminal records and arrest reports. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> I'm neither of those. And I don't think either of those are the same person either. Awesome. Okay. I will say I was on a live stream of me playing Magic the Gathering, the trading card game at the junior super series when it used to be like covered by somebody. So it wasn't live TV, but it was like me at 15 with a pen and a visor while I'm like, you know, slinging magic cards around. So you can find that one on the Internet, too, if you look hard enough. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. What is the best vacation you've ever been on? Best vacation. I don't know if I can isolate it to the best because there's like different vacations. But I think a vacation that stands out for sure was I had the opportunity to go to Peru when I was doing international relief and development work. And so we traveled to Lima and then we went up to Urubamba, which is up in the Sacred Valley. And we got to go just really spend a lot of time with the people, the culture. I was also on that trip with my partner, who's still my partner and an amazing collaborator on both family and work and a lot of fun things. And so I think it was just a special moment, a transition period. You know, we'd had two kids by then, and this was a time where we got to travel by ourselves and just hear the stories of people also have a lot of fun. We, you know, we went and hiked Machu Picchu. We had a lot of great food and really, you know, just fell in love with kind of that environment. And so that, that is a vacation per se. It was for work, but she was on vacation with me. And so it was 
it was a really, really good time and, and special in my development. So yeah, really great. It's always good to find time to get away without the kids. I love my kids, but <laughs> it's hard, you know, you get into it. It's hard to find that time. And then last question, introvert or extrovert? I am surprisingly like in between. Okay. That's the right answer. I think I would lean towards an extrovert. I get a lot of energy from conversations like this and being around people. And so I think if you define extrovert in that way, whereas it like does being around people take energy from you or give you energy, I definitely get energy for people. But I also surprisingly to a lot of people's, I guess a lot of people's surprise would be I spend a lot of time by myself in like isolated situations, like going in like walks for hours or going up in the mountains or just spending a lot of time in that. And that also gives me a lot of energy as well. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, let's get into what we're here to talk about, nonprofits. Can you tell me just generally what drew you to the nonprofit sector? Yeah, I remember specifically when I was like in my early teenage years, going to a shopping center and seeing a bunch of people waiting outside of a Best Buy in the freezing cold. And the scene is pretty typical because it's, you know, what we see on Black Friday or when like a new video game system, or if you remember the Harry Potter book craze, like this idea of having a line outside of a store waiting was fascinating to me for a very specific reason. And I saw this in a bunch of other environments is like, what is this magic that's motivating people to do irrational things? But it doesn't make sense. Why are you hurting yourself or like going through pain to like a product? You know, it doesn't really make sense when you could buy it like two days from now and, you know, still be warm. And I really quickly learned that wasn't magic, it was actually marketing. And I think what then I had in parallel was an experience traveling overseas when I was in my uh, mid-teens and seeing just the disparity between just from where you were born, how that shaped the opportunities you could have and how marketing or the ability to connect people with these causes, whether it's funding the mission, whether it's recruiting volunteers to go support this and create new opportunities for these children that we were working with, or even like doing marketing inside the country to promote these programs, I really saw that marketing was critical to this nonprofit success. And so if we can use marketing to do or convince people to do irrational things, can we use marketing to convince people to do rational things that help humanity grow. And so I was always living at that intersection of like marketing and mission from nearly day one. And I had the pleasure of being able to go straight into that out of school and doing international relief and development, which has now reshaped my entire career, even to where I sit today at the intersection of marketing, mission and technology. Wow. That's so cool. I mean, yeah, I think one of my favorite things in life is to kind of see things that we see all the time and see where how we can look at them a little differently. So for you to have that experience at a Best Buy that inspires you to go down this road. And that's the other thing I'm always fascinated by is those those little things in life where you have these moments that suddenly shape your whole path, you know? Absolutely. And sometimes it's the most unexpected thing that can do that. It's really always interesting. You're touching on a concept I talk a lot about, which is the idea of collisions. And like the idea of a collision is, you know, if you're a physics person, you're like, you can't actually predict the outcome of a collision unless you know the mass of both objects, right? Like when we come together, we're colliding and going off. So much of life is like unpredictable collisions. Like I saw the Best Buy and that collision happened that spiraled into this other thing. And so this idea of like not only focusing on the collision itself, but focusing on creating environments where the likely output of collisions is more positive, whether that's in creating communities or creating networks and friend groups or putting yourself in weird situations where you're going to collide with something and learn something like the power of collisions has always blown my mind. And I feel like I'm going to have to write a book one day 
called collisions of some sort because it's been so imperative to kind of my journey and so many others that I've had the privilege of hearing their stories. I mean, it's imperative to everyone's. I think most people just aren't aware of it. They don't stop and think about it. You know, I had this moment in my life right toward the end of college where I was kind of, you know, reflecting back. I'm about to graduate and looking back on my years and like, gosh, this happened my junior year, my sophomore year, that kind of thing. And like, how did I end up on that path? And I ended up tracing it so much of my college experience back to the second week of school in my English class, we were going to do group projects and there were two groups. One group was with, had some friends that I had just met and then one group had the cute girl. And which one do I choose to be a part of? Of course, chose the cute girl. And that choice of which group to be a part of ended up being this domino effect. I met her and then I met these other people and because of that, and then it led to all these, and it's crazy. And you start to think some of that you just can't control. You can't, you know, overthink, but how much can we be intentional about the situations we put ourselves in and stopping to actually, you know, think things through a little bit of how it's going to affect things, but also those random ones that you just, you can't see. I would never have thought, oh, choosing which group to join is going to change my whole college trajectory. And somehow it did. Just like you probably didn't think uh, going to the Best Buy is going to change my whole (laughs) life perspective, but somehow it does. How does that play into what you do now? Well, first of all, tell us about your organization and what you do. Yeah, for sure. So what I do is a different question, but I'll talk about what I do currently as a profession. But I'm the VP of marketing or head of marketing here at Feather. And Feather is a software company, and we've built the nonprofit marketing platform that helps you really run and report on all of your integrated marketing campaigns. So this includes digital advertising, social advertising, your email engagement, your automations, and your analytics all in one place so that you can really reverse the trend that we see, which is, hey, 50% of our marketing is working, but what 50%? We really want to help you understand what is working and then double down on that. And that's so essential, especially now in 2023, where not only marketers, but everyone is being asked to do more with less. And we're trying to build the platform, the support playbooks, and then wrap people around that to help nonprofits really unlock the power of marketing. Because we do deeply believe that marketing is mission critical. That's awesome. Yes. I mean, obviously, like, it's something I believe in hugely. And, you know, that one of the biggest challenges, and we've talked about this a lot in the first couple episodes of the podcast as well, is, you know, helping nonprofits understand the importance of that and the value of investing in yourself and in your brand to get it out there. But a lot of people are, you know, hesitant to spend the money on those types of things. But really, you that's how you get stuck. You know, you end up just kind of staying where you're at or even going away. Yeah. And it's so common that, you know, and this isn't just marketing. I think in nonprofits, you know, fundraising might get grouped into this category. Or if you're in like membership based organizations, membership engagement might get cut. But these things get cut first when things get hard. And the challenge is, is that like marketing, engagement, all of these types of things play a critical role in your ability to continue not only to grow, which maybe your organization's not growing as fast now because you're trying to focus and double down but also to retain and engage your current community. Because I think one thing that's very different than what I call like the commercial space or commercial kind of transactional environment is that usually you're trying to drive towards a transaction. And then after that transaction, there's been something that's been completed. You know, someone has signed up to be a Feather customer or someone has bought XYZ products or whatnot. Whereas in nonprofits, like that's a choice that people are making every single day. So just because someone's given to you previously, or they volunteered with you, or they've participated in your programs previously, doesn't mean that they will do that again. And so what I see a lot is that 
we adopt commercially minded strategies in marketing. And what we really need to look at is like, what is a collaborative minded model to retain engagement in the community and really drive belonging, connection to the cause, and then also just confidence that this group is the right group to work with to work on the cause they care about. And so when marketing and engagement and all these other things get cut, like we're really short-sighting the importance of it. And we can get into more of that, but I've been, I guess, deeply saddened because I've almost made it my mission to market marketing as essential. And so like, you know, it's not children in poverty or it's not animal welfare or the, you know, climate change or whatever the issue is. Like my personal conviction is like, how do we market and advocate for the importance of marketing in nonprofits? And I'm grateful to be able to do that alongside Feather, but also in, you know, being a part of these conversations to up-level what marketing actually is. Absolutely. Reading a little bit about what Feather does and what you guys do. And one of the topics, the closing the connection gap comes up with your good marketing framework. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what that's all about and your role with that? Yeah, absolutely. To set up the framework and why we've developed it here at Feather, I think it's important to reestablish three things we see that are often associated with marketing, especially in nonprofits. And it's first is that marketing is seen as overhead. So it's the separate thing. And it's like, it's a means to the mission, not mission critical. And so it's seen as overhead. Marketers are seen as a support like a supporting function, like, hey, we need to do this, or we have this event marketer, come help us do that. They're not seen as strategic leaders at the table. And last but not least, marketing strategy is typically seen as like outdated or unreliable. Like it's like, we're just guessing and we're kind of throwing stuff out there and hoping for the best. And so marketing as overhead, marketers as support and marketing strategy as unreliable has put marketers, I think at a disadvantage where now we focus a lot on the ings of marketing and forget that marketing is first and foremost about the market. And so what we've done is as we are trying to enable nonprofit leaders that are doing marketing at their organizations to be more of that strategic leader, to be more mission critical and to be more reliable and have measurable impact, we developed the good marketing framework as a way to do that. I'm happy to dive deeper into the actual framework, but that was kind of the origin story of that is we want to reverse these three trends because we think if we do and marketing is seen as mission critical, organizations will grow, impact will grow, children receiving aid and help, the environmental issues advocacy will push forward, policy around different industries will push forward. And so we see the very direct line to that repositioning marketing as good with a capital G is essential to that. And that's where the good marketing framework is the practical approach on what to do now. How do we up-level where marketing sits in the organization? Okay, so before we get into the details of the framework, which I wanna hear about, because I'm very interested, there's a learning curve, right? Like with these organizations, how are you bringing people along with that to help them understand the value to even look at something like this and change their mindset on how they view marketing? Yeah, I think I like to ask questions that tend to answer the question in the negative. like. If you stopped sending emails, what would happen? And it would be like, okay, well, we wouldn't do this or we wouldn't do that. Or if we stopped engaging on social media, or if we stopped doing all these marketing activities, really helping an organization see like, what would the actual impact be on the organization's mission? Like, would we raise less money? Would we engage less donors? Would we be able to, like many of our customers here at Feather do, like they're using marketing to reach out to beneficiaries that can benefit from their housing programs or their workforce development programs. And if we stop doing marketing, what would the impact be on the organization? 
this is where like I like to start there when we work with organizations because it repositions the importance of marketing as less of, oh, we need to understand how to use Facebook better, or we need to do email subject line optimization to do this, and goes back to the first principles of why we're doing marketing in the first place. Because everyone would agree that we need to raise more money for the organization, or we need to drive more volunteers or drive more mission impact. They might not agree that we should be doing Facebook. And you as a marketer shouldn't also be too tied to the channels that you are unable to see the community that you're trying to impact. And so what we try to do in the framework even is go away from the tactics initially and go back to the market of marketing and say, what is the market you're trying to connect with? What are you trying to do? What do you understand about them? And what are you trying to motivate? And if we're trying to encourage holding looser, the tactical channels and whatnot, and going back to that first principles of like, we're trying to connect with a community to our cause or to our policies or to our programs. So what do we understand about our community and what are the ways that we can then best connect that community with the impact that we're having? Cool. So yeah, how does that practically play out? How do you make that happen? Yeah. So a lot of times we start with what we call identifying the community that we're trying to engage. And so this could be looking at the you know more obvious things like, hey, we have a set of members that give to our organization. We're trying to engage with them. It could be individuals that have given in the past. It could be prospective supporters that have a affinity towards your organization. And so we really map out like who is actually in your community. And what we'll tend to find out when we map that and we start there is that you'll identify that there's three buckets of people. There's people that you are engaging. So there's people that you are engaging within that community. There's people that you might be engaging, but you definitely should be engaging. And then there's a third bucket, which is the largest bucket, which is the people you want to engage, but you're likely not right now with your tactics. And so this is similar to like an engagement funnel. And so when we talk about the connection gap, we usually are actually connecting with the people we are engaging. So people on your email list, people on your donor base, et cetera. But what we're seeing is that you're actually only engaging if you do that perfectly well, like 50% of that bottom rung of the totem pole. And when we talk about the connection gap is that there's actually two other rungs that we're not tapping into that are within our community. And so we encourage our audience to basically break down what are the strategies we can do to engage the people we're already engaging better? What are the people that we should be engaging? How should we go about doing that? And then the people we want to engage, so awareness, advocacy, reaching into people that have a propensity to support your cause, what should we be doing there? And then we take them on a journey of, a okay, what do we know and understand about each of these segments, these three segments we just mentioned? Then we move into, well, how do we drive connection with them? Because if we don't connect with them, we clearly can't drive them towards impact or activate them to do anything. And that's where like channels and content come into play. So what channels do we want to use? What content messaging do we want to use to do this? And then the last part is, what are we trying to activate them to do? And this isn't always to give like in a fundraising concept. It could be to register for an event, watch a video, sign up to volunteer, et cetera. And then through that process, it's not linear, it's circular. And so even at the end, we want to make sure that we're always learning more about this audience so that we can fuse that back into how we connect with them in the future. And so simplistically, first is identifying the community. Second is understanding the different segments or groups of that community. What do you know about them? What do they know about you? Sometimes it's lots, sometimes it's little. Third is what channels and content should we use to connect with that audience? The third thing is that you want to activate that audience to do something. And then last but not least, you want to learn. So identify, understand, connect, 
activate, and then learn. So it's a five-step process we've developed. And the great thing about it is it's not only attached to the top of the funnel or driving advocacy or cultivating your current donor base. You can actually apply the good marketing framework at every engagement stage and build out a impact-driven marketing plan versus a unreliable one. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, do you think this is something that is significantly different for nonprofits than it would be for for for-profits? Or is this kind of a framework that anybody could use? So I think there are overlaps and I I don't really like the designation of nonprofit versus for-profit. And so I like to use a different designation that there are commerce-based organizations and collaboration-based organizations. And so a commerce might be, I'm Coca-Cola and I'm trying to sell you a Coke. And the goal is for us to drive a transaction and me exchange a product to you. The other is, which I think most nonprofits and associations tend to fall into or organizations is it's more of the collaboration based where they have a community of people that they're trying to engage and collaborate with to a specific outcome. And it's not necessarily that I'm exchanging a good, like in a commerce model, we're not trying to drive, like you give me money, I give you this thing. It's different that we are trying to drive collaborative action towards a specific outcome. And that could still mean like I get to come to an event or I get to go on a volunteer engagement or I get to come to the theater and watch a play. There is a trade of value there. But in nonprofits, it's typically more collaborative than commerce. And what we've designed is the good marketing framework acknowledges that collaboration and that it needs to be more of a circular framework versus a linear one, which works more in commerce. So I said a bunch of words, but I think I like to delineate not nonprofit and for-profit, but commerce-driven organizations and collaboration-driven organizations. And most nonprofits listening to this and the ones we work with at Feather are in that collaboration ecosystem. And we've designed the good marketing framework to support those organizations, not commerce ones. Okay, cool. Going back a little bit, you know, you talked about the sort of the three different stages of, I guess, audience. How do you encourage nonprofits to adapt or target their messaging for those different groups? Is the framework designed to do that or is there just sort of different approaches that you take there? Yeah, it's a great question. So in the understanding phase of the framework, and so we encourage you to understand two things. One is the context of the relationship you have with that audience and the intent of that audience within your either cause area or your organization. So it's context and intent. Context is, a we say, hey, there's a simple question you can ask is, how would this audience describe their relationship with you? Not how you would describe your relationship with them, but what how would they describe their relationship with you? And then intent is, is their intent either time-based or interest-based around the cause area? So maybe they've come to your website before, or they've donated to you in the past, or they've never done anything, but they have searched for ways to get involved in San Diego to volunteer right? Like their intent around your cause area is disconnected with you. So they have no context or relationship with you. So they would say, I don't know who Kids Volunteer San Diego is. So I wouldn't have any relationship, but my intent would be that I am looking for ways to engage my family in serving in San Diego, this, that, and the other. And so you take the understanding of context and the understanding intent, and that's what drives your messaging and the channels you use. And so when we're working at the top of the funnel, which would be, you know, they don't know anything about you, but they've shown some sort of interest, affinity, or intent towards you, the messaging that you would then target them with needs to be more cause-oriented to introduce them to your organization. Whereas if I'm a you know loyal donor for the last 15 years, 
when you're anchoring to me, my context with you as an organization is significant that then I need to be using that as a primary anchor to then communicate what I'm trying to activate you to do. And so it's actually highly dependent on what your relationship is with those different phases that then informs not only the content, but also the channels you may use. And so I think a great example of this is like, if you're a loyal donor and you have always supported us, but you haven't given this year and you come to the website, look at our donation stuff and then leave, the channels I might use to connect with you are more email. Like I have your email. If you're a big donor, I may even call you. And whereas if you are searching for volunteer opportunities with my family in San Diego, and I have no idea who you are and I don't have your email address, the channels I might use are more of advertising, search retargeting, et cetera, to reach you. And then it would also shape the content. And so again, your understanding of the community shapes the content and the channels you use to drive connection with that community. Cool. What are the biggest mistakes that you see nonprofits making out there? What are the things that most commonly nonprofits are making mistakes on in their marketing attempts or their fundraising attempts? Yeah, I think the first one is more of like a leadership problem is that leadership's understanding or recognition of the value of marketing to their overall success is not acknowledged. And again, I think there's a two part. We need courageous leaders that see the value of marketing. We also need marketers or those in the chairs to level up or manage up to say, hey, we are having impact. And we are trying to solve both of those. We're trying to have conversations at the leadership level to say, hey, this is how we should be viewing marketing. We're also trying to have conversations at the practitioner level to say, hey, here's how you manage up and showcase the impact marketing has. So I think undervaluing marketing's importance and it being mission critical is, I think, mistake number one. It's not a means to the mission. It's actually mission critical. I think the second thing that I see, and I've made this mistake so many times, and I still make this mistake, is that we get too focused on one of two things. We get too focused on the objectives and goals we have as an organization and start there and then project those to our community in an attempt to convert or convince them to do what we want. So we start with the organization's objectives first and then design marketing campaigns. The second thing we do is we start with the channels first, and then we work backwards to the community and then back to our organization goals. So it's like, hey, we're going to do a Facebook thing, and this is how Facebook works, and this is where we're going, and we're going to connect with all this audience. It's a channel-first approach that like typically ends up misaligning with your community and not generating the results or the impact that you and your organization have. The second mistake I would say is you start at the wrong point on the circle. You either start with your goals and your objectives that you want and then work to your community and back, or you start with channels and work around and then you just miss the opportunity. And so our biggest thing is like starting with understanding your community, then bridging the gap back with content and channels to the what you want to activate them to do is really important. So two big things, undervaluing marketing as mission critical and then starting at the wrong place, either starting with your organizational objectives or starting with the channels instead of the community. That's great. That's super helpful, too. I think, you know, giving people those practical, simple things of ways to restructure the way they think about these things. And it's big changes, but it's also, you know, in some ways it's big changes or big results, I guess. But 
it's not changing the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like just going, oh yeah, let's start here and then end there instead of starting there. Giving people those practical things, I think allows them to quickly understand how they can become more effective. These frameworks that people like you guys at Feather are putting together are great for helping people just be able to walk through and go, okay, it makes things more manageable. And especially in fundraising where it just feels overwhelming sometimes. And it's often seen as the necessary evil of nonprofit world. And, you know, like, I'm personally kind of on a mission to get people to stop thinking of it that way because it's the opportunity to engage your community in it to really that's where the change comes from. Yeah. And I think like a lot of this is really hard, like fundraising, marketing, impact work, program work is really hard. I think if it wasn't, it would be you know done already. I think there's like a Nelson Mandela quote that's like, it's impossible until it's done. And I think a lot of organizations, those listening to this are doing impossible things, but we're on a mission to get them done. And my guidance to that is, again, a trap I've fallen into myself, and I almost encourage my team to fall into it too often, is that we try to do too many things. And I think we focus too much on the ings. I know this sounds like a weird thing, but we get caught up in like, we have to do the emails and we have to do this and we have to do that. And we have to do more ings. And we forget that if we just slow down and be like, what does our market actually care about? Wow. Like no one, our market, we don't need to use Facebook to connect with our market. Like that cool new idea from AI automation camp or whatever, like isn't practical for us because it's an idea. It's a tool we could use, but our understanding of our market, our understanding of our community allows us to pick and choose and then do the most important things. And Taylor Shanklin, a good friend of mine, and she's a great consultant in the space. She's the founder of Bar Lele. She always talks about like, yes, shiny new objects. I think our marketers best friends. We love new things. We love new channels. But the things that work, we have to make sure that we're doing those really, really well. And so if something is working, spending 80, 85, 90% of your team's time and resources on the things you know are working to engage properly with your community are more important than you getting to say, yeah, we're on TikTok. Like no one keeps their job just because they're on TikTok (laughs) (laughs) or or doing telethons for that matter or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if that's not where your audience or your community is, you know? And for most nonprofits, if you're looking for donors, they're probably not much on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to get into a debate about that because I think people would say, like, it depends. Well, it probably does. You know, I mean, I think that generally the the donor base for nonprofits tends to be a little older, but that's awesome. As kind of a last practical question, is there anything else you would want? Like, if you could give one piece of advice beyond what you've already said to those listening, what would it be? Yeah, I think it would go back to starting with your market. And I usually use a proxy for that and say, hey, marketing should be community first thinking. Like who is the community we are trying to engage? And remember that we as marketers or people doing marketing, even if you don't identify as a marketer, if you're doing marketing in your organization, your first priority is to be an ambassador for the market and then identify the ings that we should do to be able to best connect them to our cause. And that's all marketing is. It comes back to, I have a good friend and she says, you know, marketing is really about three things. It's connection with the cause in this case, confidence that you are the right person to do or work on that cause. So like confidence that you're the right place to be hanging out. And then third, driving community amongst like-purposed people. And so if we're driving connection, we're driving confidence and we're driving community, like that's it. That's all our marketing should be about. And the rest will take care of itself. If we're not doing those things, I think we're trying to target, convince, and convert people, which I don't think is what we do in a nonprofit or collaborative ecosystem. Great. Well, we like to close with some rapid fire questions. 
like. I love it. Let's go. See what your answers are here. What is the one thing that makes you feel most connected? I think it's being outside. (laughs) I have this affinity towards not being in closed boxes. And I think even now that like we're connecting and having this brilliant conversation, like we're still just a bunch of rectangles inside of other rectangles inside of other rectangles. And I think there's something freeing, but also connecting for me when I'm not in a rectangle or not in a box. And so that's being outside enables me to feel more connected, feel more grounded. And I think that is what then lets me, you know, be more generous and charitable and kind and all of these other things. When I start getting tense and I'm like, I've spent too much time in rectangle boxes. I got to get the (laughs) hell out of here. All right. How do you connect to your community? How do I connect with my community? I think just by reaching out. I think what's interesting is I was listening to this podcast and they were challenging the audience to say, when you are like, I just feel disconnected or I want to do this or I want to have more of this, taking an offensive approach always is a way that I like to stay connected, which is like, hey, I'm going to ping this person. I'm going to reach out to this person. I'm going to check in on that thing that that person was going on. So I think I have a different belief, which we don't have time to get into, which is like, you can't win a game playing defense. And you could be the best defensive player. You might not lose, but you're definitely not going to win. And I think we just got to play offense more. And, you know, that's gotten me into a lot of hairy situations, but it's also gotten me into some beautiful friendships and lifelong connections that I'm deeply grateful for. That's awesome. Who in the world of nonprofits would you most like to take to lunch? I think my where my mind goes, but it's not a specific person, is it wouldn't be someone in a nonprofit. It would be more of either like a supporter or donor. I don't think we spend enough time actually like understanding the other influences in philanthropy, which is, you know, the supporter that hasn't given in three years, like they're a part of this. And I think there's not to get like doom and gloom, but like the trends for the last 20 years are less and less people are participating in charitable giving, even though charitable giving has kind of slightly gone up, which is inflated by big foundation and bigger givers. This last year, we saw a decrease in both charitable givers and giving. And I think there's an opportunity to better understand the people that aren't participating, but would call themselves generous. And I think I would want to spend more time with that because that's a part of the philanthropy equation that I've spent less time on, which is around participation and discovery. Like, How do we increase participation and generosity, not just from people that have had a propensity to be generous in the past, which I think is what we're always all competing against, is for the smaller and smaller pool of people that are willing to give and choose to give and feel grateful to give. But there's a group of people that are generous and kind and feel connected with the world that aren't participating and understanding participation. And then also like discovery would be stuff that I'm thinking about right now. So that's where my head goes is like, that's an untapped, almost like if we were playing Starcraft or somewhere, like that's an area of the map I haven't explored yet. And so I'd want to spend more time there and less time in the like eco chamber, which I think honestly, we all live in too often. Yeah, for sure. Who in the world of nonprofit community do you think we should interview next? I think what... John and Becky are doing with We Are For Good is really interesting. We Are For Good is a brilliant community. They have a great podcast if you like podcasts. I think what they're looking to tackle and they're having conversations with you know, 300, 400 plus people at this point in and around the social impact and philanthropy industry is they have this unique vantage point on what's next. What do we need in the future to drive collaborative partnerships between funders and givers? How do we have ethical impact? How do we think well about the communities we're serving versus just the organizational goals that we're trying to achieve. And so I think they would be an interesting proxy for what the pulse or the beat is in and around 
the philanthropy ecosystem at a variety of like PowerPoints. And finally, what aspect of your job brings you the most joy? It really comes down to the stories. And so everything I get to do every day, yes, is talk about marketing with you. Yes, I get to like host webinars and educate people on how to do better marketing. But it's what the stories that are behind that. And when we get to hear that, you know, like we work with International Justice Mission. So it's not just like they're sending more emails and raising more money. It's like children are being released from slavery. Like that's important. Like animals are being rescued and rehomed. Family, immigrant families are being provided the much necessary resources that other programs have neglected. Like the stories that I remember from even my work and what still inspire me are the ones of individual people that had a story and we were being able to be a part of that. And now a little bit more removed because I'm not in the weeds, in the trenches, but we're still enabling people to create new stories. And there's a quote that I still remember, it gives me goosebumps ever, every time as I was working in children, child development internationally. And one of the program directors said, do you know what you're providing these kids? And I clearly knew it was anecdote, like a rhetorical question, right? And I was like, oh, like food, clothing, housing, education, et cetera. She's like, yes, but what you're actually offering them is the opportunity to dream again. And as someone who has three boys myself, like that crushes me as like, that's worth working on, giving people the opportunity to dream again and to dream bigger or to dream wider. Like that's what all we're like. If I can be a part of that every day, like I'm going to be a happy and grateful person. Well, and I think, you know, going back to something you said in the beginning, you were talking about, you know, now you're not in the specific areas. Your cause is marketing and helping people get understand marketing. But by doing that, you're empowering all these organizations that you work with to do these things that you're talking about. So you're, you know, it's really cool because your impact is actually much greater and less limited and not just empowering one organization to, you know, help kids dream again or whatever it might be, but all of these organizations and the impact is probably immeasurable there. That's got to feel great. Yeah, I'm really grateful for it. I think that's what keeps me going. Again, we're trying to do impossible things. And so we have to have something that drives us for that or towards that. And I think for me, it's those stories of impact. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this, for joining me today. And can you let us know where we can find you? Where can people find you and, and more information about Feather? Yeah. To learn more about Feather, it, you can go to Feather and that's Feather without the last E dot C-O. So Feather dot C-O to learn more about that. We have all of these free resources. We have monthly webinars and communities about people that are trying to tackle these same problems. So definitely go check that out. And if you want to connect with me, the place that I'm most commonly at is on LinkedIn. And if you go to together, the number four, so together4.org, that will redirect you to my LinkedIn. So together4.org, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you, Noah. This has been really great, super helpful. And anytime you can break down bigger concepts into practical chunks like that, it's really helpful for people. So I'm, I'm excited to, I want to go check out more about the process or the framework. And yeah, it's great. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, we'd love your feedback. And if anyone checks it out and has questions, again, ping me on LinkedIn. That's where I kind of spend my social time, even though I try to keep it limited. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great day. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Always a pleasure. Well, well, there you have it. This episode of Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes, brought to you by Rogue Creatives, is over. It's done. Finished. What are you going to do with the rest of your day? You're going to take the dog for a walk, maybe have some dinner. Before you do any of those things, could you do us a massive favor and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever else you listen to us? Obviously, you don't have to, but, you know, 
be very, very appreciated. Oh, and if you want to hear more from us, visit our website at npconnect.roguecreatives.com. That's npconnect, like nonprofit connect, dot roguecreatives.com. We'll see you soon. Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes is hosted and executive produced by me, Matt Barnes. Production is by our amazing friends over at Fame, the B2B podcast agency, along with the team at Rogue Creatives. Production lead is Ella Lamprell of Fame. Writing is by Sam Hollis at Fame and Matt Barnes and Taylor Bolanos from Rogue Creatives. Nemanja Koljaja of Fame is our audio editor and Arslan Yakub from Fame is our video editor. Creative direction is by Corey Hill of Rogue. Our artwork is designed by Hope O'Kelly and Joshua Marino at Rogue and Ian Salas of Fame. Theme music is composed and performed by Jared Atherton of Chapters. Ella Lamprell of Fame does our booking and guest relations. And Belinda Carter-Thompson of Rogue is the glue that holds it all together. We'd love to give a shout out to our amazing guests for joining us this episode. And thank all of you incredible listeners for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to help us spread some good by giving us a good review. Preferably, you know, five stars with some words saying how amazing we are. That's always helpful. Also tell your friends and subscribe so we can come straight into your potholes each and every time we have a new episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye. This has been a Rogue Creatives production.